Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferrans. Paid leave for all workers, a legislative win in the state of Illinois. Organizing victory for REI workers in Northeastern Ohio. And today on the show, we check in with the Ohio Federation of Teachers and IBEW Local 103 in Boston, Massachusetts. Welcome to the Tuesday, January 17th edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least six platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. We have two guests on the show today. We're going to start things off with a longtime supporter of America's Workforce. That would be Melissa Cropper, who is president of the Ohio Federation of Teachers, oh.aft.org. Melissa also serves as secretary-treasurer of the Ohio AFL-CIO. Lots to talk about today. Number one, we'll delve in to that Labor Innovation and Technology Summit, which we talked about extensively on the show, especially with Fred Redmond. Fred, of course, Secretary-Treasurer of the AFL-CIO, was in Las Vegas for that summit, along with a lot of labor leaders. Melissa said this coincided with the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas, the summit is designed to bring together leaders from across the labor movement, the entertainment sector, and technology to discuss what innovation means for the future of workers. Robotics, technology, a lot of companies use that because they want to, in some cases, replace workers, but workers come back saying, wait a minute, we can be part of that transformation, and that's basically what the discussion was all about couple of legislative matters we're going to get into. We have a new legislative session, and as it gets underway, they are focused, the teachers are focused on fighting for fair school funding and opposing any further expansion of private school vouchers. Also, the teachers' union vigorously opposing the newly introduced Senate Bill 1, which would essentially strip responsibility for some education policy from the State Board of Education and transfer it to the governor's office. Doesn't sound very democratic, does it? Well, part of this has to do with the fact that in the midterm elections, there were three board seats up for grabs and they went to Democrats and the Republicans being in control. They're trying to figure out a way that They can kind of strip that board from its power, move it over to the governor's office and kind of do away with the current system. So we'll get into that. The other issue we're going to get into is a House Bill 458, which was signed by the governor about two weeks ago. And it contains restrictions on in-person voting, provisional ballots and absentee voting. There's a lot of groups that are fighting this, including the Union Veterans Council the Coalition for the Homeless, the Ohio Alliance for Retired Americans. In fact, they all together jointly filed a lawsuit challenging the constitutionality of the new restrictions. 
So lots to talk about with Melissa Cropper as our first guest. Our second guest, we're going to go to Boston and join Lou Antonellis. Lou is the business manager, financial secretary for Local 103 of the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers website. I love their website. The 103advantage.com. 103 provides the most skilled, safe, and knowledgeable electricians and technicians in Boston and its surrounding cities and towns. Why is it an advantage? Well, it's an advantage to be a member. It's an advantage to partner with us for your work. It's an advantage to utilize our manpower and our contractors to build and maintain your electrical system. We are a union. We protect union values. We advocate for those issues and the advancement of allowing men and women to earn a decent wage and have access to health care and retirement benefits. A big chunk of the conversation with Lou today is going to center on diversity. Local 103 just swore in the most diverse apprenticeship class in their history. Can you believe that? Lou is quoted as saying, we made a point to be as inclusive as we possibly could. Diversity and replicating the communities in which we serve is very important to us, and it's been a priority of ours for some time. Turns out that they had 375 apprentices. The majority of them were women or people of color. Not only is focusing on diversity the right thing to do, says Lou, it's a recognition of what the community wants. The employers that work with the IBEW are clear. They want a diverse workforce. And Local 103 is a shining example of not just talking about change, but making it happen. Big salute here to IBEW Local 103 and what they have accomplished here. So uh, Lou is going to get into the details on how they made this happen. I know all of labor, especially the trades, are trying to become more and more diverse. And uh, obviously, this is a model. Whatever they did, I'm sure other locals are going to copy. So Lou Antonellis, business manager, financial secretary of IBW Local 103, will be our second guest. Now, a brief look into the world of labor. This segment brought to you by the good folks at Boyd Watterson Asset Management. You can find more at boydwatterson.com. Last Wednesday, the Illinois legislature passed what they called the Paid Leave for All Workers Act. With the law's passage, Illinois joins the ranks of dozens of states, cities, and local governments that have passed paid leave laws that prioritize employee well-being over corporate profits. The Illinois AFL-CIO lauded the bill's passage. Got a comment here from the State Federation in a press release. Passage of the Paid Leave for All Workers Act is a victory for working families across our entire state. No one, no one should ever be faced with having to decide be, between their job, family, or their physical or mental health. Roughly one and a half million workers in Illinois do not, do not have access to any paid time off. Well, now workers in our state will have a guaranteed minimum amount of paid time off so they can use it for any reason, whether it's visiting a doctor, attending a parent-teacher conference, caring for a family member, or recovering from domestic violence. Congratulations to uh, 
state of Illinois there and the AFL-CIO. A delegation of REI workers in Cleveland, Ohio, formally filed for union election. A union election with the National Labor Relations Board. The workers are seeking to join the retail, wholesale, and department store union, which is affiliated with the Food and Commercial Workers Union. The workers requested voluntary recognition from management, but they were initially refused. If successful, the Cleveland location will become the third store in the chain to form a union following the footsteps of the stores in Soho, that's a neighborhood in New York City, in Berkeley, California. Got a comment here from uh, the organizer, David Hine. Well, he's a member of the organizing committee. David said, A hundred years ago, it was coal miners. Seventy years ago, the auto workers. Today, guess what? It's retail. The time for a union in every American workplace is now. We, the brothers of REI Cleveland, are the ones customers come to when seeking firsthand knowledge and experience. We are the ones whose expertise drives the company's brick-and-mortar retail business. And it's time we, the workers, had a seat at the table. We weathered the pandemic, kept the company afloat. We stretched ourselves thin, helping the company achieve its highest profit margin ever. And now we're being told that there aren't enough hours to go around due to corporate overbuying and recession fears. Well, enough. The American worker deserves better. <laughs> I love this guy. Again, David Hine, he's a member of the organizing committee. Again, we're talking REI retail store, third one to organize in the country. Good stuff there. Unionized employees at HarperCollins Publishers will be hosting a rally outside their parent company, News Corp offices. This is right in downtown Manhattan, and it's going to take place tomorrow at 1230. The rally follows the two-month mark of the strike, which commenced on November 10th of last year. The company, well, they continue to avoid bargaining and reaching a fair deal. Now, we're talking about local 2110 of the United Auto Workers. They represent 250-plus employees in editorial, sales, publicity, design, legal, and marketing departments. The union, bargaining for higher pay, greater commitment to diversifying staff, and stronger union protection. Now, those talks, mind you, started in December of 2021. Okay? And the employees have been working without a contract since April of 2022. Laura Harshberger is a senior production editor in Children's Books. She said the company implemented a return-to-office policy recently. Every day we see our executives cross the picket line, sometimes multiple times a day, pretending like the strike isn't happening and it's business as usual inside. But we know our strike poses a strain on the company. Books are moving off their original publication schedule and often are not getting the attention they need this is heartbreaking considering how invested all harper collins employees are in the company's success and reputation the management is choosing to risk it all 
by refusing to put a fair offer on the table. So again, that'll be tomorrow, right smack in downtown New York City, lunchtime, 1230. Those of you listening to the podcast, you might want to go by, honk your horn, shout out for uh, that local, that's local 2110 of the United Auto Workers. All right, quick break. Melissa Cropper on behalf of the Ohio Federation of Teachers coming up next. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferens. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. This segment of America's Workforce is brought to you by Survey and Ballot Systems. SBS has been providing unions with secure and flexible election options for over 30 years. Visit SurveyAndBallotSystems.com to learn more. Hire union musicians. Call Music Talent of Cleveland at 216-881-1802. Call Music Talent of Cleveland as your dependable source for professional musicians in Northeast Ohio. Union musicians add harmony to weddings, elegance to parties, and uplifting music for all events. Music Talent of Cleveland contracts solo and ensemble musicians as well as bands and orchestras for single engagements. So hire union musicians. Call Music Talent of Cleveland today. 216-881-1802. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at BoydWatterson.com. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrens with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast, AWF Union Podcast. And if you like a show, please share that show. We count the downloads. Our sponsors like that. We want to grow America's Workforce. Now in our 30th year, can you believe that? This show started in 1993, and in the last two and a half years, we've been podcasting on at least six platforms, and it's really exploding. You miss a show, just go to awfpodcast.com, awfpodcast.com. Let's go to Central Ohio right now. Joining us on line number one, longtime supporter of America's Workforce. We certainly do appreciate that. That would be the Ohio Federation of Teachers, oh.aft. .org. Melissa Cropper heads the Ohio Federation, and she, along with a number of labor leaders, I know Randy Weingarten was there as well, president of the American Federation of Teachers at this uh, Labor Innovation and Technology Summit. And again, it's important to embrace the technology, but we don't want that technology to replace us as workers. Hey, Melissa, welcome back to the show, and uh, I'd love to get your uh, your point of view about this, and it all took part at the uh, Consumer Electronics Show, which kind of morphed a little bit over the years. But uh, tell us about the show and and your take on it. Go ahead. Oh, well, it was a very interesting show to actually attend, the Consumer Electronics Show, um, because it shows all the latest advances in technology and what's coming down the pike. And it, it's actually so massive, I, I feel like I just barely saw, just barely scratched the surface 
of what was there. But it was interesting to see see things such as uh, you know heat wave technology that they have that could replace metal detectors. So as you're walking through a door, you know, you never have to stop. Or, or anything like that, but it can detect whether there's something on your body, what your body temperature is, et cetera. And there's actually a lot of technology like that. It seems like a lot of technology is aimed towards um, getting a lot of uh, data and information about people, which is, you know, has its pluses and minuses, obviously, and gets into some privacy issues and stuff. But, but the point of us being there, again, was in conjunction or side by side with that. Um, the the AFL-CIO had this Labor and Innovation Technology Summit. They've started a, a Department of, of uh, Innovation and Technology. And we were having these conversations about how does technology impact this and how do we, you know, we, we can't, we can't get ahead of technology. We're already behind technology if we're being truthful about it. But how do we how do we make sure that as workers we're engaged in conversations about how technology is going to be used, and how do we make sure it's being used uh, to benefit workers and not to replace workers? So it's all you know very interesting conversation. Uh, I think it's something that we have to be on our toes about because technology is just changing so, so rapidly. Um, as a matter of fact, it was quite interesting when we, we checked in at our hotel, there were no ho- zero hotel clerks working at the desk. Everything was done by kiosk. The kiosk <laughs> gave you your room keys. The kiosk printed out directions to your room. No human beings working there at all. So those are the kinds of things that we have to have conversation about and we have to figure out how do we put some protections in our contracts and how do we make sure that we're involved in these conversations. I've been saying for a long time, it, it, it's, I definitely got the impression that managers would like to get rid of as many workers as possible. I mean, and you know, it is an expense to the company, granted, but personal contact, like what you just said, the kiosk, I mean, that sometimes is going a little too far. I mean, it's, it's, it's scary. It really is, don't you think? I think it's very scary. And I think that what we also have to think about, because I think the tendency is for us to think that this technology is only going to replace low-wage workers like the people working the desk at the hotel. Yeah. But when you walk around this these technology shows and you see, you know, we saw machines that basically can replace a dentist. Uh, and, and all, and really the medical field is where we're seeing like huge advances. And the truth of the matter is technology is becoming so advanced that it's white collar workers whose jobs are really kind of being jeopardized too, because Technology is still expensive, and there's not a whole lot to gain from replacing your low-wage workers. There's a lot to gain from replacing your higher-wage workers. So, so people, everyone at all levels needs to wake up and think about how is this impacting us. And to your point, to what degree do we want to become a society where we're not dealing with humans anymore, uh, or how much human interaction do we still want to maintain? So it, there, there's, it, the whole the whole summit just raises a lot of questions, and I think that you know, labor unions absolutely have to be involved in these conversations. Or, like you said, we're going we're going to be left behind, scratching our heads, wondering what in the world happened to us. Melissa, what's the takeaway here? Did, did they like set up another conference? Are there going to be committees formed to to take this and address this, especially among the various unions? 
Yeah, I mean, they're hoping to grow the participation at the summit each year. They're going to continue to hold a summit in conjunction with this technology show. But in addition, like I said, the AFL-CIO has just started this Department of Innovation and Technology. And I think that the role of this department is going to be to embrace labor unions in these conversations and to try to figure out, you know, have, you know, figure out some of these tough questions and to be proactive about thinking about how do we get language in our contracts you know how do we um, how do we really study technology and figure out ways that it could actually be beneficial to us as as workers? You know how can we use technology to replace dangerous piece, pieces of some labor jobs um, instead of just re, you know in, instead of completely replacing us? And the main thing is how do we make sure that the workers' voices are involved in decisions that are being made at the administrative level about how technology is used? So that we can inform inform the development of it, so that it is something that's useful to us and not something that's replacing us. Yeah. So that's what this whole department at the AFL-CIO is going to be focused on and engaging other labor unions in. The old line: they got to be at the uh, at the table, otherwise they're on the menu. That's that's the Correct. old uh, labor line here. All right, let's move to. Uh, the uh, legislative session, and in fact, this week there's going to be a lot happening uh, dealing with uh, private school vouchers. But let's start off with the the State Board of Education, and uh, this this is scary here because it seems like it's an attack on democracy. You've got uh, lawmakers in Columbus, primarily conservative, that want to uh, do they want to I guess get rid of the State Department of Education and put it under the jurisdiction of the governor. Can you explain what's going on here? Yes, they want to create a cabinet-level position under the governor uh, for uh, Department of Education and Workforce Development. Now, by Constitution, they cannot eliminate the State Board of Education or State Superintendent that exists in our Constitution, but they can extremely limit their powers. So they basically want the State Board and a State Superintendent to be in charge of licensure, property transfers, and those kind of compliance level type of issues. But when it comes to actual policy making, curriculum, standards, um, all the really meaty important pieces of education, they want to move into a, a cabinet level department under the governor. So, Melissa, I know they tried to do this last year. Um, right now, are they going to try to, like, ram this through right now? And what's what's the recourse here? Well, supposedly, they are going to take a little bit more time this time and have stakeholder conversations with people about how to shape this bill. Uh, I think they tried to go too quickly last time, and they ran into some resistance. Now, our concern is when you've got you know, a supermajority of Republicans in both chambers that they can just force it through if they want to. So it's really highly, highly, highly important that citizens call in and, and voice their opinion on this and, and let them know what they think about this bill. Again, this this bill would take control away from state board members who are elected who members from their community have decided that they want them to be making decisions about education policy, would take that power away from those elected officials and put it in a captain position under the governor. So we don't know in that scenario what happens to public participation, to what degree can people still um, shape what's happening in the policy world. 
So it's very possible. I mean, this is the first bill that the Senate dropped, the Senate Bill 1 now. It's the first bill that they've dropped in the Senate, which means that it's important to them. And you know, Senator Brenner is just in the paper. He's the chair of the Education Committee at the Senate level. Uh, he's just in paper saying that this is a priority for President Huffman of the Senate. So they're going to try to move this. Now, they may take a little longer doing it, but they're very definitely going to try to move it. And the question is, you know, I think it will move quickly through the Senate. Uh, what will happen in the House? Because the House has so many other problems right now. But this is this is this is definitely got potential to happen. And once it happens, it's like you know, governor's got 90 days to sign it, and then it becomes law. So this is we're talking a huge, huge shift in how education is done in this state, going from an elected school board who chooses a superintendent that has uh, avenues for lots of public participation to moving it to the governor's office where you know, they don't have to have public participation. They don't have, we don't have elected officials making decisions at that point in time ex- other than the governor who's overseeing all of it. Mm-hmm. Now, we've got some history here when uh, school districts get distressed. East Cleveland, for one. Maybe we Mm -hmm. could uh, zero in on that. Mm -hmm. Now, they were in financial distress. The state came in. And this is typical. They what they appoint like a CEO. They 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 take it over and they say, we're going to make things better. That really didn't happen in, in East Cleveland now, did it? It didn't happen in East Cleveland, it didn't happen in Lorraine, and it didn't happen in Youngstown. Those are the three places where the, the state has actually taken over those school districts because of academic distress. So saying that they were failing ac- academically and that the governor needed to come in and take over those schools and make them better. In none of those situations did the schools get better. In fact, they started doing worse. So to now say that Putting this under the putting the whole education system under the governor's control would make things better. It's a farce. I mean, we have no history of proving that that works, and uh, and actually we have history that says it doesn't work. You know, the whole argument behind this for for the people who are trying to pass it is that this will this puts accountability on the governor. Well, the governor already has eight appointed seats on the state school board, so there's 19 school board members. He's got eight appointees to that. So he's got a large voice already on the State Board of Education. Um, So if he wants to have more control over education, he can use those eight seats. Uh, We've got a history of the state taking over three school districts where the state did not make any progress in those three school districts. So there's nothing to say to us that putting this under the control of the governor would improve our education system. Is simply a power grab. Exactly. Okay, the other issue, school funding, fair school funding. Where where are we with vouchers right now? I'm sure this, uh, this session will definitely delve into it, right? Well, we know that President Huffman is a huge proponent of vouchers. He's been trying to expand vouchers his whole career. So we expect this to be a big issue in the legislature this time around. Now, again, I feel pretty confident that at the Senate level, there's going to be a play to expand vouchers. Again, it's going to be it's hard to say what will happen at a House level. Uh, this current Speaker of the House uh, has said that he is opposed to the backpack bill. Uh, But, again, there's division among the Republicans on the House side, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But we certainly 
again, have to be on our toes and know that there is intent to expand vouchers, which means that that would be less money that would be available available to put into the fair school funding plan that we've worked on for a long, long time. So just to remind people, the Fair School Funding Plan was originally known as the Cup-Patterson Plan. It was a bipartisan plan to make, to make our funding system in Ohio constitutional. And in the last budget cycle, they, 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 they approved the first two years of that. It was supposed to be a six-year phase-in, and they gave funding for the first two years. Um, however, with no commitment to fund it beyond two years. So we're at the end of that two years now. We're into a new budget cycle. And the question is, are they going to continue to phase in this fair school funding plan and accurately fund it, or are they going to divert some of that money to vouchers? And our concern is that that money is going to be diverted to vouchers and create more of a voucher system rather than putting it into this fair school funding formula that had bipartisan support and was built upon um, stakeholder advice from people out in the field who actually work on school funding. Yeah, which is what you want. Right. All right, one more issue here, voting. We have a new law in the state of Ohio. It's a House Bill 458, which was signed by the governor a couple of weeks ago, which really, really puts a lot of restrictions on in-person voting, provisional ballots, absentee voting. Now, this is a done deal, but then again, there's a lawsuit. Uh, explain what's going on here, Melissa. Correct. We have joined onto a lawsuit uh, with the American Retired Association and and a homeless coalition to push back against this law because it's, it, like you said, it limits who can vote in elections. Uh, one of the most egregious things in it is we have a history of you know, we've been able to. Um, show proof of identity, not only through photo ID, but by bringing in bill statements and uh, or other documents that prove your residency. Now you have to have, according to this new law, a government-issued ID, and not everybody has that. And this particularly impacts elderly who um, may not have a driver's license anymore and who find it very difficult to be able to go somewhere to get a government-issued ID and our young people. And and so uh, that's one of the provisions in it. It also reduces the number of days you have for mail-in ballots and the number of days that the mail-in ballots have to come back after an election. There are just several provisions in it that, that restrict who can vote in an election or what votes get counted. The issue behind this really is that there is no history of voter fraud in the state. Secretary of State LaRose has said repeatedly that Ohio does not have any problems with this voting system. It's one of the safest systems in the country. In fact, he's even said that other states look to Ohio as a model. So if that's the case, why do we need to pass a law that now restricts who can vote, that restricts which votes we actually count? So we are pushing back on this law. We are part of this lawsuit, and hopefully we'll be successful in this lawsuit and can restore the voting patterns that we had in the past. We have a great law in the state of Ohio, but let's change it anyway. Well, let's change it, yes, because, you know. Oh, you like got said, your hands just, full. I mean, when you look at what the things that we've been talking about, it, I mean, the, the thread through all of this is just this one power grab after another, mm-hmm. right? So we, 
We want to restrict who can vote. It's not enough that we already have super that the Republicans already have super majorities in both chambers and control and have every statewide office. We still want to restrict who can actually vote in these elections. You know, we have three Democrats who actually won seats on the state board of education, although technically it's a nonpartisan race, but three people that we ran that won, and now they want to take away power from the state board of education and, and again put all that control under the governor. All these things are one party trying to gain as much control as they possibly can in this system and shut down the voters' voices. We haven't even gotten into the gerrymandering battle yet. That's going to escalate this year, too, because they never never could resolve it last year. Melissa, lots to cover here. Thank you so much uh, for your time and your dedication. Melissa Cropper, president of the Ohio Federation of Teachers. Their website is oh.aft.org. You can follow them on Twitter at OFT Advocate and on Facebook, OFT Union. You take care. Stay strong. We'll talk next month, okay? Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, quick break. Lou Antonellis, business manager, financial secretary of the Electrical Workers, IBEW Local 103, just graduated their most diverse apprenticeship class ever. He's coming up next to talk about it. This is America's Workforce. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. Hello from the Communication Workers of America, District 4. We are a labor union representing a vast array of workers in different industries, including the Association of Flight Attendants, Telecommunications, CWA Passenger Services, Public Health Care, and Education Workers, the IUE, CWA Industrial Division, the National Association of Broadcast Employees, the CWA News Guild, not to mention our growing digital sector, and many others. If you're interested in organizing your work group or learning more about what it means to be CWA strong, visit our website at www.cwad4.org. That's cwad4.org. America's Workforce Radio is sponsored in part by the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 6, representing painters, glazers, drywall finishers, and sign and display industry workers. They remind you that belonging to a union is your right as an American. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And don't forget, you can check us out on at least six platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. And when you get an opportunity, just sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis and give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings, so please keep them coming. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the United Labor Agency, always connecting people with employment, good employment, ulagency.org is a website. Let's go to Boston right now and check in with Lou Antonellis. We've had Lou on the show at least once, maybe twice over the years. He is the business manager, financial secretary, of IBEW Local 103, the Union Advantage, the 103advantage.com is their website, and they've got about 10,000 members, 
not just in Boston, but eastern Massachusetts. And I wanted to bring Lou to the table today because of what he was able to accomplish with his latest apprenticeship class. Lou Antonellis, Happy New Year to your brother. How are we doing today? Happy New Year, Flash. Good to be with you. Good, good, good. Yeah, I saw this story picked up on the Team AFL-CIO about your most diverse apprenticeship class in your history. I'm looking at, what is this, almost 400 apprentices. Lou, I want to hear it from your mouth. How did you uh, How did you accomplish this, this? And tell us all about it. Give me all the details. Sure, sure. Well, it's um, it wasn't by accident. It was definitely deliberate. And it's something that we care a lot about up here in Boston. Boston's a, a diverse city, like most major cities in the country. And um, we want our membership to reflect that. And uh, it's just the, the motive behind it is as simple as that. And then, you know, executing it's a little bit more, a little bit more work, but we found a way to get it done. Well, give me the details. You found a way to get it done. I mean, did you go out? Did you go into the underserved neighborhoods? How, how did you make this happen, Lou? Yeah, a combination of things, Flash, right? So we definitely were in the neighborhoods um, in, in the city of Boston. We're definitely recruiting with a lot of the um, youth build type groups, um, mentorship programs that we've partnered with in the city of Boston, as well as uh, you might be familiar with a program that Labor Secretary Marty Walsh started when he was the uh, the mayor of Boston called Building Pathways, uh, as well as going out to uh, recruit at um, local high schools, technical high schools, um, getting them, their um, boys and girls from technical high schools that are in the electrical programs that want to be want to be electricians. And we recruited them to come into the IBEW, and it's been hugely successful. And uh, the story that you read is kind of a result of that. That's awesome. And I read, too, that apparently the, the contractors, the employers that you uh, that are working with, they kind of been pushing this as well. Can you can you get into that for us, Lou? Yeah, they, they've been very supportive of it. Um, the contractors have the NECA Contractor Association. They've, we've been lockstep with them um, to do this. And, and, and it's because, you know, we, we believe in it, but so do our customers and our customers want to be diverse, their campuses, their institutions, their diverse places, and they want their workforce, people building their campuses, maintaining their campuses to be diverse as well. So the contractors have been great. They've been supportive, and um, we're hitting home runs up here. 375 apprentices. They're all, well, they were just sworn in recently, right? We're talking women, people of color. Do you have, do you have any kind of a breakdown on that, Lou? Yeah, so um, out of close to 400 we were 51% women and people of color. Um, That's incredible. Breakdown of women was close, was about 14 or 15% women and 35, 36% people of color. So we, we, we kind of compare that to, you know, that's our incoming class of new members compared to our outgoing class of retirees. And our retirees are about 95, 96% white males retiring, which is, basically not a snapshot of where we are today. It's a snapshot of where we were 35, 40 years ago. So mm-hmm. you look at what's leaving the industry and what's coming into the industry. And it's just good for, it's good for the city of Boston. It really works, works for us. Um, Cause we, we want to be like the city. We want to be like the neighborhoods, which we represent and serve. You know, we represent Eastern mass, which you, which you mentioned, but you know, 90% of our, our work is in downtown Boston. 
and in the city of Boston. So we're, we're, we want to support the city of Boston and the city that's been so good uh, to the IBW and other building trades. So it's important to us that we do that. Lou, one of the issues, especially for women, is uh, like child care. I mean, you got moms there that need to address the needs of their children. I- I'm just wondering, did was that part of the discussion here as far as getting them involved in the IBEW? Because that that's a big issue, not just for 103, but for, for all the trades. Sure. So they've definitely made it part of the discussion. No doubt the women, um, that numbers that are coming into Local 103, it's a priority for them. And because of that, it's a priority for us. We're, we're trying to find ways to to give daycare options to our members. And not just women, because men have daycare issues as well, because usually there's both parents are working and both parents got to figure out how to find uh, daycare. So the women have really made it, made it um, an important issue to them, and it's definitely an important issue to us, um, is finding daycare solutions for, uh, for our members. This latest class of uh, apprentices, um, was there like extra care taken because of the diversity involved that you had a focus? You wanted to make sure that they were going to graduate on time. Can, can you speak to that, Lou? Yeah. So, um, you know, retention is, is serious in the trades. Obviously, we can bring them all in, but making sure that they stay and they make it through and the ones that want to be here. You know, we, we want to focus on retention and making sure these folks that get in on day one graduate four or five years later. So um, we've kind of come up with a two-fold system on how to incorporate, recruit, and keep um, these kids. So a lot of them aren't just kids. A lot of them are, you know, adults that are changing careers as well. So sure. um, we've, we've started this new program. It's a, a CW program, a construction wireman program, and it's similar to a pre-apprenticeship program. So we're taking folks in um, and just getting them into our, our apprenticeship program it, it sometimes is not enough. The, the, the apprenticeship program is a demanding program. The work is tough. You're up and out the door before 5 a.m. in a lot of instances to get to the job sites by 6 and 7 o'clock in the morning. The schoolwork is rigorous. It's difficult. There's a lot of algebra. There's a lot of math. So we will find students wanting to not really make it into the program. They weren't ready for it. So this CW program, this pre-apprenticeship program we started, it gives them like a, a year head start to make sure that this business is for them. Because again, it's construction, it's not for everybody. So yeah. that has really helped accelerate um, how this diversity push for us has worked. And it's, uh, it's been super successful and we're going to be expanding that CW program and in turn expanding the diversity of apprenticeship programs. Yeah, you have to realize now, now that you, you set a record here, you're, you're going to have to probably try to beat that record. You, you know, you got a lot of pressure on you now, Blue. You know that. Don't you? I know, I know, I know. <laughs> Lou Antonellis, he is the business manager, financial secretary of IBW Local 103 in Boston, Massachusetts. 10,000 members there. The 103advantage.com is a website. We'll continue the conversation right after this. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Lyuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America. 
delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with LIUNA. Find out what it takes for LIUNA to keep America running at LIUNA.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The United, United Steelworkers. Steel the largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in, in the, the U.S., US Canada, Canada, and the, the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steelworkers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE. .org. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. The United Auto Workers are one of the largest and most diverse unions in North America, with members in virtually every sector of the economy. Learn more about this proud sponsor of our program at UAW.org. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrance with America's Workforce. And don't forget, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast, AWF Union Podcast. Let's go back to Boston and rejoin Lou Antonellis, business manager, financial secretary of IBEW Local 103, where they just swore in their most diverse apprenticeship class in their history. That's quite an accomplishment there. Lou, uh, there was something else you wanted to talk about, this uh, Union Trade Sisters event. Uh, I need some explaining on that one. What's the story there? (laughs) Sure. So the Boston Trade Union Sisters, um, Boston Union Trade Sisters, they're – there are a bunch of tradeswomen um, from across the building trades, not just IBW, um, but as the trades have been diversifying over the past, you know, five or six years, bringing more women, more people of color into our trades. Um, I tell you what, Flash, the, the women um, that are coming into the uh, programs and coming into our unions, they're some of the most active and engaged members that we have. Uh, I'm, pr- I'm proud to say that um, they, they really are. They, sh- they show up for everything. They come up to all the meetings. They, when we need volunteers, they're the ones that are there first. So they've been a really great active group. And as they're out on job sites, there's more and more women in, on the job sites, construction sites, and building trades today than there ever have been. So they're meeting each other, and there's camaraderie growing among the w- women in the trades. So, so last fall, they had like a banquet. Um, that they wanted to have. And this banquet grew from being at a VFW hall. We ended up having it at the Encore Casino in Boston Harbor. And there was over 700 trade sisters at this particular event. Um, Marty Walsh, Secretary Walsh, was one of the keynote speakers that came um, to this event. Um, uh, New governor, uh, Mara Healy, uh, first woman governor elected in Massachusetts, was there as well and really to offer some encouragement and some um, congratulations. And it was a terrific, terrific, terrific event. Local 103 had about 150 um, 
trades women's that are members at that event. And I couldn't be more proud of the IBW and the Boston Building Trades for what they were able to pull off in having that um, Trade Sisters event. And it just speaks to not only the diversity of the IBW, but the diversity of the building trades here in Boston sure. and what we're trying to accomplish. It's really just remarkable. Lou, that activism you talked about among the women, I'm just wondering, where, where do you think that's coming from? Is, is, is part of it the fact that they realize the future? They realize the, the electric future ahead here? I, I'm just wondering. And obviously, there's a lot of work out there, but what's your thoughts on that? Sure. Well, the, the, the trades, you know, equal work for equal pay. I mean, that exists traditionally from the building trades uh, you're a woman journeyman or woman apprentice, you get paid the same as a man uh, apprentice or man journeyman. And, uh, you know, that that's important. They know they're going to get equity on the job day one um, mm-hmm. as far as pay and benefits go. Um, they raise, they're trying to raise a family just like I am. So it's important for them to have good pay and good benefits and a good job so they can, you know, buy a house or pay their rent or raise their kids or send kids to college or private schools or whatever, whatever the issue is in their life. Everybody needs a good job. And uh, I think that the, the attractiveness of, of a good job, um, the welcomeness, the welcomeness that's there in, in, in the trades for, for more women, um, they're, they're just tapping into it and they are running with it. They're taking the ball and advancing the downfield like I've never seen uh, from a group. I love it. it it's, it's really, uh, it's really encouraging. Yeah. By the way, Lou's been with the IBEW for 33 years, so this what's happening right now is pretty revolutionary. It really is. When I started the trade, Flash, I started the trade 30 years ago, a little more than 30 years ago, I think there were two women in my uh, apprentice class. Uh, today, there's 75 um, females in the first-year apprentice class, so we've come a long way, and we've got, we got more work to do, but we're doing that work, and I'm proud to say, um, I'm proud to say that we're doing it. Well, you should be proud. All right, let's talk about the the future of work over there. You got ten thousand. I'm I'm just wondering where you see that number going. And you know, there's a lot of good things happening. You know, the policies that came out of Washington. You got the Chips Act. You got the bipartisan infrastructure, solar, the Inflation Reduction Act. You know, the switch to uh, more uh, renewables and all that. You got to be feeling it over there in Boston, right? Absolutely. Um, we've never had an administration that's been so pro-worker than this administration in, a, in my lifetime and in, in many lifetimes, for that matter. Uh, so it's very, very encouraging. We welcome all the new work that's coming. In. We welcome the investment in all these new um, work opportunities, for sure. Here in Boston, we're very fortunate. Though. We have a we have a very um, diverse economy here in Boston. We have the the colleges, we have the hospitals, we have the lab space, office space, residential. Um, right now, you know, a, a new part of the industry, the electrical and construction industry, is this uh, alternative energy stuff, whether it's, um, you know, wind and solar. But we are installing tons and tons of electrical vehicle charging stations. Um, it seems like everybody on the block, um, there's, a new, there's a new electric vehicle in the neighborhood in the parking lot every single day. And uh, they all need to charge those cars. So at our at our uh, headquarters in Dorchester, we are um, installing over 100 new EV charging stations. We're changing our entire fleet from um, gas-powered automobiles over to electric for all our uh, for all our offices and our agents and our staff that have automobiles. We're changing them over to to electric, and we're seeing just 
um, up and down the roadways, up and down parking lots, everywhere you go now, there's a there's new charging stations, and that infrastructure um, is electric infrastructure, and we are so glad to be building it and and installing it. And I think that's uh, the next 10 years, you're going to see a massive, massive influx of uh, of the electrical vehicle charging stations all over. And, you know, we're, we're glad to be doing the work. That's for sure. Well, let, let's talk about that a little bit more here, because from what I'm picking up from a number of the trades is uh, they, they need more apprentices. And I know you just had a pretty nice class here. I'm just wondering uh, what five, 10 years down the road, where, where do you see local 103 as far as growing that membership to keep up with uh, the changes here in technology? Yeah. So we, we continue to, uh, to keep growing, you know, a couple of years ago we were at, you know, seven or 8,000 today we're at 10,000. We, we are constantly growing here in Boston. Um, and I, I foresee it in the future. I don't see a slowdown as far as growth goes. I'm not going to give you a number, but I tell you, we're going to keep continuing to grow significantly. Um, I think it's a great thing. I think it's good for the country, good middle-class jobs with, with pensions and with health care and, you know, family sustaining wages. Those are the important things. And as long as that stuff uh, is available to, to a workforce, then we're going to, we're going to have, People come into a local 103, knock on the door, and uh, we're going to continue to grow. Lou, I'm really happy for what's going on over in Boston. And you just think about uh, the perfect scenario. You got uh, the labor secretary comes from your neighborhood, Marty Walsh. You got the right people in Washington with good policies. You just mentioned you got a new uh, governor there. Uh, it's 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 a perfect situation for you because we talk to, and I'm sure you talk to some of the folks down south in the right to work states. I mean, it's a struggle for them. They they don't even they don't even like to say some of the politicians don't even like to say the word union. But with that being said, you you got the you got everything going in your favor over there. So I'm just I'm just saluting you and 103 and what you've been able to accomplish. Uh, any parting words here for our, for our audience? Yeah, we've been very fortunate, but we're only two years into this. You know, Marty Walsh being the Labor Secretary and President Biden being uh, the president. Imagine we had 50 years of this type of uh, labor-friendly administration. Uh, we, take, we could take over the world. It would be incredible. Good stuff. Well, Lou, I'm really glad we brought you on the show today. Lou Antonellis, Business Manager, Financial Secretary of IBW Local 103, the 103advantage.com. And I'll tell you, you're, you're fortunate – on where you're located, you probably know that. I mean, we talk to a lot of locals around the country, especially in those right-to-work states, and I'll tell you, they don't even like to say the word union, but you got uh, a labor secretary who comes from your neighborhood. You got the right folks in Washington, uh, good policy, diversity. Lou, you got it all going. I got to salute you, brother. Thanks, Flash. We're very fortunate here in Boston. No, no doubt about that. No doubt about it. Okay. Business Manager, Financial Secretary, Lou Antonellis, Local 103. You take care, stay safe, and stay in touch. Okay, brother? Happy New Year, Flash. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. All right, that's it for another edition of America's Workforce. Tomorrow, the American Federation of Government Employees, and we check in with UA Local 565 in the state of West Virginia. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful day. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce radio podcast. Thanks for listening. And be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.